Vortex. I'm Matthew Kressel, and I'm joined, as always, by the often contrary, Mary Lang. <laughs> Hi, from soggy Southern Ohio. Oh, and yet again, it's the man down under, Mr. Robert Haynes. Oh, no, the Winterlack. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> Hello. Uh, well, as you may have guessed from Robert there, where this episode is going to be the second part of our look at the stories that introduced one of the most unique of Doctor Who companions, Elizabeth Klein, to the worlds of Big Finish. So in our last episode, we took a look at her introduction in Colditz and her reintroduction almost a decade later in A Thousand Tiny Wings. In this episode, we'll be looking at the two stories that completed her reintroduction trilogy. But before we do that, we're going to look at the single episode that came at the beginning of one of those that fills in some of her backstory, the appropriately titled Klein's Story. Ah, Elizabeth, come in. Sit down. You don't mind if I call you Elizabeth, do you? Please do, Major. Please, call me Jonas. And I trust you will forgive me for not sparing any blushes, but may I say how beautiful you look. Freya made flesh. Will you take a drink? No, thank you, Major. I'd rather you just told me what this is all about. What's so special about me that you need to personally travel all the way from Germany to recruit me? <laughs> we have a new project that I am eager to get underway, and your skills and experience are particularly suited to it. You're very kind, but there are others more qualified than me. Oh, qualifications are common, Elizabeth, but there's nothing common about you. In these published works of yours, you demonstrate a refreshing open-mindedness that most in your field of expertise invariably lack. This will be of vital importance for our work ahead, as will good working relationships, too. I see. And what exactly is my new role? I was quite happy at Cambridge, and my researches had reached a critical phase. I'm sure your colleagues will carry on your good work. But believe me, soon your pursuits at Cambridge will seem trivial. Your horizons are about to be broadened, Elizabeth. Broadened beyond the boundaries of the Earth itself. Now, in Colditz, we established a lot of Klein's background. that She was a time-traveling scientist from an alternate 1960s where the Nazis won World War II. But in doing Klein's story, we have that fleshed out. What was initially just a handful of expositional lines of dialogue becomes a full-fledged 30-odd minute drama on its own right, written by John Ainsworth and Lee Mansfield, who incidentally composed the version of the Doctor Who theme that we used to start and end our episodes. <laughs> All right, so what what did we make of the fleshing out of Klein's background in this story? I guess, uh, Mary, I'll go to you first. Uh, well, I, I really enjoyed this. Um, I think that Tracy Childs is a gifted voice actress, and I found her easy to listen to, and I liked her story. I liked that she, you know, had a, you know, love interest. I love that we got a little bit of the eighth doctor in this. I, I like, you know, her transcending, you know, from one doctor to another, um, which interestingly enough, I looked closer at the cover. And the, the version of the seventh Doctor that they show looks very much like the Doctor um, that's in the movie just before he dies. The, the paralleling of the Doctor um, being shot down by or being executed by the Nazis 
is very similar to his having been executed by a San Francisco gang. And that's when I noticed that, oh, the picture of McCoy on the cover looks very much like the one that was killed by the San Francisco gangs. Um, but that aside, because cold, it's left me so curious as to where did this woman come from and how did she learn to operate a TARDIS? Um, this story does a lot to help me, you know, know more about her backstory. And I thought it was very well done. Um, and even even her uh, her dilemma at the end of having to, you know, go the way of, of you know, what most women would want, you know, go for your love or go into this potential future of power and uh, knowledge of time travel and that um, that choice was, uh, I think, very well done. What did you make of it, Robert? I pretty much second what Mary says. Yeah, I, it's a good that it's a one sort of story thing. And as Mary says, fleshes out the, the character of, oh. of Klein and uh, the various things that, that go on. And um, yeah, and, and just having the sixth, uh, I keep saying sixth, the eighth doctor in there is an, an extra little bonus. So it's nice to, I don't know, as Mary says, fill in the gaps kind of thing as to what, right. what went on. So I, I really enjoy that and, and to her motivations for things, mm. I guess. Um, that kind of thing is, is very good to hear. So, yeah, I, I've quite enjoyed I think it's, it. It's interesting that they chose to do it this way because normally when you flesh out a character's background, uh, be it on TV or in the other Big Finish audios, it's usually done in the throwaway fashion or we meet their mother or that kind of yes. thing. It's mm -hmm. very yeah. rare that you hand over mm -hmm. uh, an entire episode to just saying, mm. this is who this character is, mm. this is where this character came from. Uh, the thing I find mm. interesting about it is, is that when we meet her, she's at Cambridge initially and then gets kind of recruited into it. Mm. I can't help but detect perhaps echoes of the Liz Shaw character, the third Doctor companion played by Caroline oh. Shaw, because that's exactly how the Liz Shaw character gets drug into unit, except it's by the Brigadier. Yes, that's true, yeah. And yes. I, my... Elizabeth, the same yeah, name as well. <laughs> I mean, my initial thought, I have to say, listening to it this time, was that, oh, is this, did this create the parallel universe we saw in Inferno? And then it was kind of like, no, Inferno, Inferno's got some <laughs> clues in it that says not. Yeah. But I do agree, I think that the icing on the cake for this is the fact that they successfully managed to get Paul McGann and to do what's really just a handful yes. of scenes. This is like three scenes in the whole thing, yeah. I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but it also, I think, wonderfully sets up uh, what he what's going to happen in Survival of the Fittest. Because I think it's, it, in a way, I think the Klein story is yes. the link yes. between Colditz and A Thousand Tiny Wings and the introduction, and when we actually get to the meat of the story in Survival of the Fittest, and especially Architects yes. of History. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Well, yeah, um, in Cold, it's she is so ruthless. And then in A Thousand Tiny Wings, she's the complete reversal. She is soft and caring yes. uh, and all that. And you wonder, whoa, can this possibly be the same person? Yes. So we hear her story. You can see that <clears throat> she's not ruthless in the sense that, you know, she takes joy in killing people. But it's just she's ruthless in this, this successful path. That she mm. feels she's mm. on mm. um and you you get the soft side of her right too. i mean she's, yeah. a, she's a so i think it, it marries those yeah nice. she's a pragmatic character the ends justify the means for her she has a goal and whatever it takes for yes, her to reach right? that goal is what she will do i think echoes yes. a lot of what we sort of saw in real life with a lot of the nazi scientists 
and who worked on projects for them. But today, mm -hmm. the, either you slave laborer did, or in the case of Mengele, did incredibly inhuman experiments on people in concentration mm -hmm. camps, but I, justified it by saying, I had my goals, this is what I was working with, and as far as I was concerned, the ends justified the means. Because I also like that the way that it was told, um, you know, like, sit me down and tell me the story kind of thing. But yeah, just done very well. So. It's almost as a sort of an interesting inversion of the Companion Chronicles format, in a way, done in the main in the main range. Yeah, right? yes. Like a two-hand yeah. yeah. There's actually not very many people in the cast. I mean, you have Tracy Childs telling the story to McCoy's doctor. You have Paul McGann in it, and I'm trying to think of who it is who plays uh, Jonas, the love interest. I can't think of his name for the life of me. But it's actually a very small cast, and I... I actually could see it being expanded maybe mm -hmm. another 15, 20 minutes to get it to fit into a Companion Chronicle format. But as it is, it's a very interesting story. As I said, I think it's the narrative link between the earlier stories and what we're going to experience with these other two stories. Mm -hmm. So should mm -hmm. we move on to Survival of the Fittest then? The carrion has been driven mad. It wanders the nest. It kills everything that it finds. What are you afraid of? The winter lack. The winter lack will kill us. What is this winter lack? Cast out the intruder. Cast out the winter lack. Oh, Lily, you poor, poor thing. The winter lack really have wiped you out. It might be the last of your kind. Hello, my name is Stefan. Pleased to meet you. What are you doing on this planet? Who the hell are you? Perhaps I should be asking you the same question. Welcome, new hatchling. Welcome to the nest. Find one good climb. Searching for Jackson, the xenomorph appears to be moving away from the base. It's coming this way. Nearly there. Shoot it down, Jackson! believe it. That I made it down the hill? That I'm actually pleased to see you. Well, in, in this story, um, the doctor and um, Elizabeth Klein find themselves on a planet where the most amazing things are going on in terms of all of the usual skills that we use as human beings are pretty useless here because language is actually sent and the creatures don't have names. They only know each other by their size. Um, so you can't, you know, so there's no individuality. And even though the doctor tries to name some of uh, the creatures, you, you know, it's going to be kind of useless because how can you really tell them apart? They all really do look the same. I found this to be a fascinating story. Fascinating because I love whenever someone writes to make something totally different from the way I perceive it. And that's how this is. Um, in, in this world, Elizabeth Klein had to use her, her brain way that she's not used to. She's just used to dominating um, and telling others what to do. And in, in this world, she had to learn a whole different kind of language. Uh, she had to learn a whole different approach to these creatures. And the words that the creatures were using for other threatening creatures made no sense to her or the doctor. At the time, they had to slowly and steadily learn who these other creatures are that are threats. 
in this world to find out that, you know, as always, Chris, this is where I would take exception. For some reason, human beings are always (laughs) the guilty party when it comes to, you know, being nasty and and, um, blundering and destructive and, and all that. And so for Klein to be in the position to try to convince these creatures that although she's human, she is not harmful. It is a wonderful thing. Um, and the interplay between Tracy Childs and Sylvester McCoy in this is so wonderful. The two of them play off of each other so well. Mm. Um, does it sound like I love this one? <laughs> a bit. A bit. <laughs> uh, I, I am going to disagree to you, with you to a certain extent, Mary. I, I get to okay. counterbalance Ooh. your loving of this story by saying I am not the world's biggest fan of this story, oh. and I actually think this uh, in the weak link in the trilogy. I I don't know. I I do agree with you that it does use the cliche of oh the humans are terrible and going in and killing things, which yes. I think annoys me. Some of the writing in it as well, I I do find sort of iffy. Given that the Doctor and Klein have been traveling with each other for quite a while, it's sort of hinted at. There's been at least four or five places they've been to that they reference at the very beginning of the story, which I know that's yes. done for as a way of saying, hey, there's been a progression of time between Klein's story and here. But at the same time... I think it's just to... Can I just stop you? I think that's to do with um, trying to make her character uh, more... Uh, you know, because if you were to introduce, uh, say, Survival of Fittest directly after uh, the last one, I think you'd still have her quite hard. And, and so I think this makes her, she's been through these adventures, it softened her into what we're seeing now and sort of like more agreeable to um, seeing things the yeah, doctor's I mean, way. I, uh, that's yeah, well, I, I understand it. Right. My problem is the way it's kind of done because it's done very clunkily. I mean, they step out of the TARDIS and went, oh, we've been here, we've been there, we've been there, sorry about yeah, your boots yeah. kind of thing. It does not set. This is looking at the stars, yeah. weren't they? And and that's sort of not as nice as yeah, what's in it. Somehow it just seems clunky. And some of the dialogue seems clunky. Like when she turns to him at one point and goes, oh, you would have been a great asset to the party. And it's kind of like, Klein talks like this? Because she didn't talk like this in the last two, three stories, technically, we've listened to. Mm. So I don't know if it's that Jonathan mm. Clements, the writer, didn't quite have a grasp of the character. Or maybe that, you know, because mm. John Ainsworth, who script edited these, was also doing... Uh, Klein's story at the same time, and in fact, actually, Survival of the Fittest was supposed to be a four-part story, and they realized the story didn't have enough room to kind of stretch to four episodes, hence why we have Klein's story at the beginning of this release. It wasn't something that was initially planned, and it just feels like the story is very slight. There's not actually that much going on in the story. Yes, it has some of these ideas. You have the insect race, for example, which is Far better done here than it was done with, say, oh, the Zarvi and the Monoptera and the Web Planet. <laughs> to be fair, we don't have to look at them. Well, the whole idea of communicating by scent, I thought, was handled so wonderfully. Yes. I mean, even after the Brill die, and, and they say this is true of the insect world, which is why I, I'm so respectful of how this was handled, they, they're still giving off a scent. And part of that scent is the panic, is the, the warning to yeah. other insects yes, yes. Uh, that they're dying and yeah. so and, and the doctor because of the translation circuit in the TARDIS he's able to to pick yeah. up on that I thought it was that was well handled I will grant that and I will agree with you there that was well handled it's actually a very interesting use of the TARDIS translation circuit and how that plays into the final couple of scenes of the story as well 
But I think that the actual mm -hmm. story itself seemed very slight. There's a lot of cliches going on. I mean, if you're going to do aliens, insects are like the, the second most obvious thing to do if you're not going to make them little gray men with huge black eyes, you make them insects. So it did feel like it was sort of retreading ground to a certain extent. Though it, it was done in an interesting way here, but it's still reusing the same idea all over again. The, the idea that the, you do have these people walking around, and when we do actually encounter the humans, you got one of them who's basically just espousing, you know, the Nazi ideals left, right, and center. You know, we need living space with a master race, yeah. and so on and so forth. And it just seems a little contrived. But it's Klein being exposed to the fascistic way that the humans were being, you know, and this is where you think maybe a light bulb has gone off in her head. Um, you know, throughout this story, you're, you're experiencing, you think, um, an evolution right. in her thinking because she's seeing other fascistic yes. groups. She's, are she's feeling for, yeah, she's actually feeling for the uh, love side. Yeah, she's even defending, yeah. you know, <clears throat> fighting for the lives of those right. that are not protected. Yeah. And so you think that she has gone through some um, metamorphosis. Thank you. That's exactly the word. <laughs> And appropriate, given we're talking about insects. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I did wonder listening to it. It's like, has Klein's thinking actually changed? Or is, is it because that she's yeah. been exposed to these ideas? You know, as you say, the light bulb goes on in her head. Because the way the ending is, it's kind of that wonderful ambiguousness. I mean, has she been waiting for the opportunity to do what she does in this story this whole time? Yeah. Is, is this a spur of the moment yeah. decision right. on her part? You know, it's not quite clear but i love i do love that uh aspect of it As yeah, I said, I my issue with it is with the plotting and the story itself because i think they're both very slight and there's not actually a whole lot well, that goes on even though it's well, three episodes it's just a three episode story it's not you know a full two hour so uh, it, it, it doesn't have stats welcome well, i don't think because of yeah that. Hmm. yeah I, I mean if you boil down the plot it's very simple isn't it Bad mankind comes down to uh, like a planet that sort of can't defend itself as as well as the the bad humans, <clears throat> and they're in danger of dying out. Uh, you know, genocide's being right. committed, and Doctor and Co comes along and actually makes sure that their lives are preserved, and some humans die, and the, the day is one kind of thing. That's basically what the plot boils yeah, down to, it, doesn't it? Until right for the very mm -hmm. end. And I think that this whole story, we talk about Klein's story, I talked about Klein's story being the link between those early stories and what ends up happening in both this story and the other one. This is the one, this story I think exists out of necessity as a way of taking Klein from being companion to where he is the man of architects of history. And in a way, the whole story yes, is just building yes. up to the last, what, five, ten minutes? <clears throat> yes, I do. Yeah. I do get that. Thing. But, you know, I, I, You've alluded to the, the web yeah. planet already. And I think when I, because I listened to it a while ago, but, and I didn't really sort of get into it then, but I really enjoyed it this time around. And I think it actually does the web planet better than the web planet. Um, yeah. In a less annoying way yeah. as well. And yes. I quite enjoyed those things of, of um, this, I, I guess in the web planet, they tried to get across this, alien uh, world and their alien ways, but it did in such a crap way, if I can yeah. be blunt, whereas this dealt with things were in an interesting way, that you're actually interested in the way these communicate, the way their structure of their society is, the, their life cycles, uh, how everybody interplays with each other. 
Um, yeah, and it's and much more enjoyable. Position, you know, the, the doctor already knowing all about the planet and we have to hear all about it. It's it's him and Elizabeth yeah. Clark discovering it yeah. as they yes. go along. Yes, and, yeah. and it's that. interesting that this yeah, is not I, one I of the great, one of the seventh doctor's great master plans. I mean, he's just traveling and they just happen to stumble across here, right? which makes the ending of this yeah. all the more effective when in the process of trying to make yes. it better, he absolutely messes things up for himself. Yes. Right. And and I and I thought, uh, how the hell is the doctor going to get I, out of yeah, this? Yeah, I remember listening to right. it in 2010 for the first time, and that was my reaction to it. At the end of it, was going, I'm not a huge fan of this story, but my God, that cliffhanger at the end. <laughs> and it just makes you know when you get to architects in history, uh, all the more passing. You know, how did the doctor get from yeah, there we'll to there? Yeah, we'll talk about that when we get to and, architects. Um, I think. So. Yeah. But but so, something else I. That you alluded to, Matthew, was that the interplay between him and Elizabeth Klein, uh, the Doctor and Elizabeth Klein, it was so brilliantly played. I think they worked very, very well together. And I, I just thought it was great the way that they got this Klein where you think, oh, she's changed. She's um, now coming around to see things in, in a way we like it, uh, seeing things the Doctor's way or coming around to seeing things the Doctor's way. Which I thought set up the ending very nicely, uh, added more impact. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed those things as well. Something I do want to mention: I mm. was uh, talking about the Nazi stuff um, in the last one. It's interesting that it's Elizabeth Klein who names the insect rape we meet the Brill, because um, there was a book that was very popular in Germany in the lead up to the Nazis coming to power. That was about a alien race, sort of a uh, subterranean master race called the Vril, which makes it even more appropriate that she hands oh, really? that to a group of insects. And in fact, there was apparently a group of uh, sort of occult believing Nazis who believed in this. It was actually known as the Vril Society. That was wow. very active. It was apparently active oh. in the years uh, the Nazis were in mm -hmm. power. So I, I just found it very interesting that it would be Klein who comes from this Nazi background, who would of course name this subterranean insect race. The Vril. So mm. it's just a wonderful. Uh, so the author being done his, uh, done yeah, his research. Yeah, it's just a wonderful <laughs> little touch. Uh, even though, as I said. It's just like with the, that name, my hearing isn't that good. And when they first named me, I thought that she was saying Rill as an R-I-L-L, -L, which is the name of the, what ends up being the good guys in Galaxy oh, yeah. 4. Um, yeah, the Hartnell. Because they, they were the Rills. So, uh <laughs> I said, and I thought, oh, now they've got two alien races called Vrills. <laughs> but no, it's Vril, as in V-R-I-L. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it, the story is, this is really the sort of, even though I think it's the weakest story in the trilogy, and I know I'm being, disagree I'm being disagreed with on that, it, it's the linchpin of the trilogy in a way because it's the link between Klein's reintroduction and then, of course, what we're fixing to talk about, which is the architects of history. Yes. Yep. Announcement. This installation is now on full alert. All operational personnel are to report to emergency positions. You should have told me about this, Tendexter. Why didn't I know about this? Well, you think I'd get something like this from you? Six unidentified craft within striking distance of Earth? This is exactly the sort of thing your department exists to prevent. I'll never get across the ramp. There are too many people. Of course there are. That's why no one will stop to question us. Come on, Sam, we can do this. Bad luck, citizen. Cooper, wasn't it? It's 
You've found the one man who does wish to ask you and your comrade here a few questions. I am General Lieutenant Adolf Tendexter, representing the Terran Galactic Reich. Your ships have violated our space, and I insist... I do not care about your name or your rank. You are nothing but plankton to be ground beneath the heel of the Salation Empire. Your primitive ships are no match for our warcraft. You have ten minutes to surrender, or else we will destroy you. What about us? What happens to us if you alter the past? Do we just... just cease to exist? How will that happen? What will it feel like? I don't know, and I care less. But think of it this way. Perhaps I will reach the future to learn that you dealt with this incident all by yourself. That my assistance was not required. Somehow, though, I doubt it. Human Plankton! You will pay for your assault upon a Salation Trooper! You're back, then. Yes, Doctor. I'm back. And the last story in this particular trilogy is The Architect of History, the big climactic finale uh, of the trilogy. And it is, we've talked about before, and I know Rob Sherman uh, talking in one of the DVD extras about the Big Finish audio, talks about the, what separates Big Finish from a lot of other radio drama and audio drama out there is it does cre- often try to create big cinematic soundscapes and these big epic stories. And in The Architect of History, Big Finish most certainly succeeded, bringing Steve Lyons, Klein's original creator, back to basically create a story that is in many respects one last final chess match match between the Doctor and Klein, (laughs) with the fate of all of history at stake, with Klein having gotten a hold of the TARDIS at the end of Survival of the Fittest, and has apparently been very, very busy rewriting history left, right, center since then. So, I have a theme based on our conversation before we started recording that you two have some questions you would like to ask. (laughs) Well, this story had me very confused in the talk about flying constantly. It sounds like she repeatedly was jumping into the TARDIS to travel back to change events whenever she did not like the outcome of the last time that she changed events. That that seems to be the case. There is the mention that they managed to thwart all of these invasions by um, Daleks and Suntarans and everything yeah. else. And what it sounds like is, yeah. is that she maybe initially tried to go back and fix her timeline and, and gradually has been bouncing backwards and forwards in her in the timeline that she keeps creating. So that every time something happens, mm-hmm. like you know, the Daleks show up or the Suntarans show up, mm-hmm. she just simply jumps back and mm-hmm. says, you know, tells them, okay, this is how you beat them. In fact, she has the uh, line at one point toward the end of uh, episode one to Tendexter, who's in charge of the moon base where the story is set, saying that, you you know, you haven't fought a battle that we haven't already won for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm, that's true. <clears throat> but And something else is, did they, did she go back to the planet of the Vril to, to pick up the doctor because she wanted some advice because she kept her mucking up? Is is that how come he ended up in prison um, there? That's not how he ended up in prison. There is a line in the story that he was caught trying to sabotage the base reactor. And that's why he's ended up being in prison there. But Klein presumably is the one who got, made sure he was in prison instead of presumably being executed. Like somebody else who did. Yeah, but how did he, how did he get from the planet of the Vril 
to because this is a completely different timeline this is this is one of the things that is confusing about this story is that because this is a different timeline this is a different doctor to a certain up to a certain point yes yes um so this is an alternate doctor because there's a reference to an alternate doctor which i didn't get till near the end and i thought whoa which part of this was the alternate doctor yeah which which... set up the the things in, in yeah, motion, the, you know, the, the doctor who sets that, the things kind of, in motion is the alternate doctor from this version of the timeline who presumably has been, so been sent by the Time Lords to say, somebody has been mucking about with history. We yeah. think you caused it in another yeah, timeline. Perfect. You go and fix it. And somehow, yeah. and this is the thing that's never made clear, and I think it's the flaw of one of the story's flaws, is that it's never quite explained. I mean, the doctor we do meet, who's our doctor from our timeline, has a line saying, I don't know how I ended up here. I just know I ended up waking up three days ago and this body sitting in this cell. Yeah. It's a bit yeah. clumsy. Um, it is, uh, as far as yes. I'm concerned, it's the one big plot yeah. flaw in the story. But everything else <clears throat> has been set in motion by this other Seventh Doctor who's been traveling around with the character that we meet on the base, which is the Rachel Cooper character. Rachel, yeah. This Rachel talks about all the adventures that she's been yeah. on with mm-hmm. the Doctor. So that's the real doctor that she's been with, or is that the alternate alternate doctor doctor she's she's been been with? The doctor from this version of the timeline. Mm. Okay, you can you can see how you know stray lines like that. I just woke up and found myself in this cell. You know things like that, and some reference to oh, the alternate doctor did that. That has left me you know thinking I knew what was going on during the story. Suddenly asking, wait a minute. yeah, in my defense, I have heard this story three or four times since it came out in 2010. And this this trilogy, especially, but this trilogy, but especially this story, is amongst my favorites from Big Finish. So it's a story I've come back mm-hmm. to a few times. Does it become more clear with listening? I remember at the end of the first one, I did kind of have some questions, and then with each subsequent mm-hmm. listening, it feels like I've gotten a clearer and clearer picture of of actually what the world's going on here. Because Klein. Uh, we don't we don't really even know if that history that we heard in Klein's story is real yeah. or not because she's gone back in time so many times to do things yeah. that she doesn't even remember yeah. that. So did it happen or didn't it? And I mean not, I'm not asking you to tell me whether it did or didn't. Oh, it's just, not, can I answer that though? Because the doctor makes a point point is talking about the, the web of time and says there's another strand snapped. So it's yeah. like that's sort of undone, I guess. That didn't happen yeah. anymore. It's yeah. only in the minds of the character who who change things. It's like the characters who end up, I can't remember which characters, says about, oh, you're just going to erase us out, yeah. that kind of it's, thing. It's um, pen, yeah, going it's Pendexter at the end of episode one. Pendexter was, uh, yeah. Where he's basically yeah. like, what's going to happen? How will it feel? You know, what's going to happen to us when you yes. leave us here and you go yes. back and you rewrite history? Because they, they will have no memories yeah, I think of it, that will the they? Way, the way... History seems to work in Doctor Who <clears throat> various timelines is that you can create timelines, but you can't necessarily go back to them. It's um, a sort of a play yeah. on what's known as the mini worlds theory, which is this uh, thing about how parallel dimensions and alternate timelines can exist, which is the idea that just, mm. just by the act of going back in time, you have changed history. And yeah. Klein especially has been going mm. around, uh, has changed the outcome of World War II. She's stopped a couple of invasions. They've apparently tried to wipe out the Salations in the future, which is why the Salations have come back and so forth. Yeah. But as she's doing this, she is forgetting, um, either forgetting or those other timelines are ceasing, ceasing to, to exist. exist. This is, 
This is the yeah, client that this is the client we met back in Colditz who told this client's story uh, about meeting uh, Jonas and whatnot, her great love. And in fact, it's actually yes. the doctor uses that to his advantage to sort of make her doubt things and also to make her realize he, he brings what she's doing down to a personal level to her by saying that you know how you know how you've wiped sort of wiped him from history? Imagine everybody else you've ever done that to. Mm. And mm. Yeah. I think it's a wonderful scene, a wonderful cliffhanger when she jumps into the TARDIS um to yet yes. once again travel back. Um and the TARDIS, you you hear the cloister bell. Yeah. And you know, the other people in the TARDIS are like, what what's that bell? What does that yeah. mean? Um and that builds up to the TARDIS possibly destroying yeah. itself. Yeah. I that, that is a very good cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah. That was actually the big question I had at the end of it, which is if this version, that version of the TARDIS is destroyed, and we know that the Doctor ends up in a yeah. TARDIS at the end of it, does that mean that the Doctor has ever since been traveling in a slightly different version of his old TARDIS? Or did that, because we know the dimensions <laughs> yeah. were taken yeah. out of the blue box, did they transfer to that TARDIS? And, you know, what no, yeah. You know what I get yeah. the feeling, though? I, I get the feeling that this is a story that Stephen Moffat would like. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the type, type of thing that he really it's enjoys, doesn't Stephen he? Stephen Moffat finale done right is what it is. This is yes. what Wedding of That's this right. story yeah. is what Wedding of River Song uh, ought to have been instead of the train wreck of a mess in a plot that we got. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think so. That. I think that's a very good um, statement. There, Matthew. Uh, until I hear this one, maybe three or four more times, I can't agree with you that I think it was done right. Because to be left with so many questions and to be so confused at the end, um, to me, it doesn't mean something was done right. It just I don't means think I was confused. I think it's something because oh. when I listened to this, I was a bit more confused, I guess, for only listening to it once. I think this actually, as you mentioned before, when we're talking before we actually recording, that this is something that benefits from listening to again and again. You get more out of it, and and I think, as Matthew was saying, it makes more more sense, or, or you can. So you were aware more. that there was an alternate doctor before you got to near the end, and you you did know where the doctor's TARDIS came from that he could travel away in. You knew all of that from the story? Not from listening to it the first time. Okay, but you did get it I, listening to it a second time? I think, yeah, I think you get a, a better sense of, of, you know, what's going on, uh, uh, how I mean, things well, happen. Yeah, while but, it's going on, well, I'm, I think I'm yeah, following it. It's just suddenly the end, all these things are thrown out there that make me wonder, well, did I really know what was I going think on? It's, it reminds me... The it's way the, it's all the seventh doctor character. Yeah, the way it? it's all kind of laid out. I have to say, this goes back, Mary, to your and I fundamental agreement about the Dos Ex Machina ending of uh, Nightmare and Silver on TV, because I, I always yes. will argue that the clues are there for what happens at the end of that, and the clues are in fact here, laid throughout, because where the TARDIS is is made very, it actually is made increasingly clear as you listen to it, because they keep mentioning that something's blocking the hangar doors of uh, the door, the hangar doors on hangar 14, yes, yes. and that nobody can figure out what it is. Yes. Okay. And I actually spotted that midway yes. through listening to it the very first time in 2010, and I went, something's up there. The question is, what's up there? Okay. Because they don't okay. mention things like that unless it's going to be of right. importance, as they do with any sort of uh, story on right. TV. They don't sort of mention things that aren't going to come into play. Yeah. And the same. 
Yeah, that's what yeah. storytelling is. Same thing with the Rachel Cooper character because she mentions doing all this traveling and stuff with the doctor, and it's like, well, she, we've yeah. never seen her before, so clearly she's got to come from somewhere. No. And when the doctor walks in in episode three and says, I had to deduce all of this, this plan and whatnot, it's kind of like, oh, okay. So light bulb kind of goes off. Um, as I said, my big question at the end of when I finished the first time I listened to it was going, is the doctor going to spend the rest of the time traveling around in a slightly different version of his old TARDIS? I mean, you know, that was my big question at the end of mm-hmm. it. But it, 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 yeah. Well, my big question too is, is what, what decision did he make about Elizabeth yeah, Klein? I, I have to say, I love the fact that that's left ambiguous as to what I her too, yeah. exact fate yeah. is. And it's, I mean, yeah, I, and instead I, of I, sort of throwing out something that could have been either very cheating or very depressing, you know, something that would have been an unhappy yeah. uh, resolve. It's left ambiguous. Yes. But you go from that ambiguousness in that scene between them in the TARDIS to a scene that I think is oddly one of the most uplifting endings that Big Finish have ever done. Yeah. Where. Yes. Yeah. I loved it. It was a lovely little way to wrap it up. I was expecting to finish it with and somewhere the tea is getting cold. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It was a bit like that, wasn't it? Yeah. (laughs) It's a beautiful day. The sun, the birds are singing. Yeah. But it's. Somewhere the tea's getting yeah. cold. Yeah, would have been a good, that would have been the icing on the cake if they had done that. It would have been. Well, and I must say that whenever the scenes were between Tracy Childs and Sylvester McCoy, I loved it. I was totally I sucked that, yes. in because I yes. think they play off each other so well. Whenever they're not in the scene, when it's other characters, I have to confess, I had this whole sense of disappointment. It's like, oh, none of you are nearly as interesting. <laughs> it just goes to show you, though, what great uh, great actors they both yes. are. And I think Steve Lyons just writes really well for The Seventh mm. Doctor. Uh, I think he's got that that character, even the the, the manipulative, you know, you see the, the Seventh Doctor really as, I guess, the definitive sort of character that he is you know the way he manipulates manipulates things behind the scenes i thought that was just wonderfully done and as you say matthew it's like it's very sort of epic sort of storytelling isn't it i mean it is i mean it's one of those things we the the whole thing about doctor who is that the doctor has to save the world or the universe or the planet or the colony or the humans or the whatever at the end of it and it's Mm. incredibly rare in doctor who you know on tv or on audio or really in any medium to have the doctor mm-hmm. just let the world burn, to quote a line from uh, The Dark Knight. Yes. Inferno is yes. an example mm-hmm. of that. Um, but the doctor is able to use that knowledge to come back and save our world, as it were. Here, he's actually orchestrated the death of humanity in a big way. It's not the doctor we know, yes. it's, a slightly, it's the seventh doctor. It's something the seventh doctor would do. But it's a slightly more ruthless and I think a lot more desperate version oh, of the seventh doctor. Sure. Yep. who orchestrates it. And then our version of the Seventh Doctor has to come in and tries to fix it, but is ultimately left with a mess he can't fix. But is, isn't it, Matthew, though, a bit like saying, uh, like, in your face decline, this is what happens when you do things yes. your way? It's like a, an ultimate sort of uh, statement to, yeah. to her. It's just the way you do things. This is how yeah. it ends up. You can't go back in history and just do things as you like. Some things you've got to yeah. accept. You know, this is how things... Right, your history is going to yeah. come back and nip you in the bud. You can only mess with something so often before it's yeah. going to write itself. Yep. And it reminds 
and she tried so many yeah, times. It, it reminds <laughs> me a lot of uh, Mary. We remember we reviewed Death Comes to Time, and the doctor's sort of statement is that I, you know, I am a, I am one of Time's architects. You know, I am a god of the four, that kind of thing. And that's what this kind yeah, of reminds yeah. me of is him basically being this almost <laughs> divine force who walks in and says, "I am fixing history, and I am fixing it this way." But you know, but at the same token, I think it, it, the story is a tragedy. There is no other way to look at it. You know, the human race gets destroyed. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's the Galactic Reich and they're Nazis, but they're still human beings for crying out loud. And mm-hmm. one of the things I come away with most strongly as a memory from this story, both from listening to it originally and on subsequent re-listens, in Episode Four, it's that last desperate battle when all the ships come up from Earth to try and ward off the Salation fleet. Yes, and we get for it's like. 60 yeah. seconds or something of one of the pilots of the ship in yes, utter yes. desperation and i can't see my home yeah, anymore utter desperation and utter terror mm-hmm. and fear at what he's going mm-hmm. through and what he's experiencing and almost as much as anything else in that in this story that's the moment that sticks with me mm-hmm. that this, it's, it's just Thanks. a giant epic tragedy and it's an epic tragedy being played out as a chess game between the doctor and Klein. And yes, sort of, yeah. you know, as I said, mm-hmm. with the fate of all of history at stake, and it's appropriate that the Seventh Doctor, the grand manipulator, the guy who played, you know, chess against Fenric for the for the fate of the world, is doing mm-hmm. this with Klein. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I will continue to argue, I think this is one of Big Finish's best releases. I think that of finale story-wise of how can often conclude trilogies, I think I, this is one of the times they got I it agree right. with you, I think. Yeah. Um, yes, the yeah. story is dense. Yes, it's convoluted. There's a plot, there is a major plot hole in the fact that the Seventh Doctor from our timeline just magically finds himself yeah. in the Seventh Doctor's body of an <laughs> alternate timeline. Well, hold on, Matthew, could that be just history rewriting itself I, kind of thing as to how it I, should it be, I, do you the, think? I, I wondered that, especially on the most recent listening to it, because the Seventh Doctor does kind of hint that he felt time being rewritten <laughs> around him. Yeah, um, yeah. Which reminds me of uh, I, of the description that Terence Dix uses of the Seventh Doctor sitting in a uh, the conquer in a uh, conquered British museum occupied by the Nazis in, in the novel Time Worm is it uh, which is Time Worm Exodus, and he's sitting there looking through yeah, just right. alternate history, and he says he can get that sense of feeling time reshape around him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's yeah. kind of what I wondered about, and you know, it's a tragedy. It's the Rachel Cooper character as well. Her last scene, I, her performance in this, I, I have mixed feelings yeah. about because there's times I don't think she I comes across very well. <laughs> yeah. But that last speech, no, the way she talks isn't very. No. It's like, Hello, no. do you think we could do things this way? Whenever she's, yeah. seen, whenever she's in a scene, I'm very aware that mm. she's an actress. Yes, <laughs> yes, she's yeah. the character. Yeah, but as you say, when, when Sam dies, um. I think that was when she said yeah. her best. Well, not just, I think that and her last scene when she tries to get to the TARDIS and she's wounded and the TARDIS yeah. the doctor yeah. takes off without yeah. her. And mm. the Salation kind of yeah. encounters mm-hmm. her and says, I'm going to execute you. And she's like, well, go ahead. I can think of fate worse than death. Yes. And that yes. is just a beautiful, beautiful scene. And I think that's the one that is the yeah. one that's her best scene in this as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah. Yes. Speaking of the on the level of tragedy, it strikes me as, as the ultimate irony of the Seventh Doctor, who can figure out his own plan, uh, having just been thrust into the situation, can figure out that there was this big yes. plan to, <laughs> to get Klein and wipe out this timeline, all, all of this. <laughs> but he can't. He over completely overlooks the human element, which is the companion. He he can't figure out that he's got a companion running around there. 
that will need his help that he's supposed to say. And it mm. just is the ultimate, I think it's the ultimate irony of the guy who can juggle a thousand details misses perhaps misses one of the most important details of the plan. I think I think that adds more to more weight to the story yeah. as well, rather than you know, there there are consequences to things. There are um it's a bit like real life though, you know, definitive ways of doing things or yeah. whatever. And something that was uh, not mentioned in any of the stories we've talked about yet, but I think really came out super well this time was the sound oh, yeah. design. Oh, yes, um, yes, yes. Yeah, the, the the sound of the ships and the dripping water and, yeah. and just, I was there. I was totally there. And like when they um, go into the spacesuits and things yeah. like that. Yeah, yes. It's a big cinematic soundscape and we've talked about so yeah. many times big finish doing putting movies in your head and movies in your ears and the music was absolutely great i yes. thought too oh yeah music and all three was mm. great mm-hmm. yeah. the music score to this one especially so, yeah. i thought was good this is this is one of those rare occasions i actually listened to the music suite on the cd because oh. most of the time i just go i want to move on with the story yes this I was do. one of the times i, I sat down and yeah. actually listened to the score because it was just that good so yeah, a very very uh, strong. Yeah, it's a very strong trilogy. I, I I would argue that you know we've been doing trilogies for six years now, since two thousand nine, and I would argue <laughs> that this is one of the strongest trilogies, if not the strongest trilogy Big Finish have done. Yeah, in the main range. I think I might agree with you there. Well, I think there are some really excellent ones out there. I wouldn't make this the mm-hmm. best. Yeah, from the ones that I've listened to. I mean, I can only go on the the, the few that I've listened mm-hmm. to. So. Uh, the only one that I can think of recently was the um, Six Doctor one that we did, and this is stronger than that. I would argue maybe the 1963 trilogy as well, but that's a that's a that's a different, oh, yeah, like yeah. A different kettle. Of yeah, that's a good trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's a bit different a... because we got lots of different Doctors as well, rather right. than the uh, mainly one Doctor, I should say that yeah. we get here. Where <laughs> right. you know, as I said, just continuing as as an actual ongoing story arc, because I feel like a lot of times the trilogies are just very loosely connected. That's true. Especially yes, when they yes. start doing these the multi Doctor trilogies, like the 1963 trilogy or the the Shawnee Empire trilogy that Mary you were talking about before we started recording. Yeah, that mm-hmm. I yeah, they're kind of just art. There's an arc going through them, but it's with different Doctors. And this one, in terms of actually mm. having a single Doctor and an art contained within three CDs, I would argue that this is probably the strongest yeah. trilogy Big Finish has done to date. So, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. So um, I'm, I'm glad we sort of um, went through yeah. these. And though this is uh, the end of Klein for the time being, this was, of course, not her final end, as it were. And we'll be coming back to her and the Seventh Doctor later in the year when we take a look at Unit Dominion. So. I think we've got that planned for late summer, early fall, I believe. But anyways, I think that about wraps things up for this episode. Unless somebody has something they would mm-hmm. like to add. No, I think we, we covered things pretty well. Very well, then. So next episode, it's going to be a bit of an end of an era here on Stories from the Vortex. Is We're going to be looking at the fourth and final Dark Eyes box set, closing out the current era of the Eighth Doctor at Big Finish. And I know how much Mary is looking forward to talking about Dark Eyes 4. She has already accidentally listened to the box set twice. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll all be asking Mary the questions about things. (laughs) She'll know know it hurts by the time we record, yes. (laughs) Sorry, Mary, I got a pick on you. Uh. (laughs) Oh. 
But as uh, always, you can send in your feedback to the show uh, via our uh, feedback address, uh, feedback.vortex at yahoo.com. Or you can join us on Facebook, or you can leave a comment on our website, storiesfromthevortex.blogspot.com. So, until next time, I guess it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from them. Oh, dear. See yous. So long. <laughs> Thanks for all the fish. Take care.